This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spent half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains of Central Oregon. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life, even now as a media creator and a beer professional. This is how Mountain Sea Media was born. I realized how impactful stories are to our lives and business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends. They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com. It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to episode 27 of Good Beer Matters. It is the original Pilsner beer. It's from the town of Pilsen. There's no other way to get around that. I don't know what's on the outside of a can, and you guys put your lips on it. You guys are going to get hepatitis that way, man. That's gross. It's pleasure, and it's affordable, and it's not too bad for you, and, and you should have one right now. The Czech Republic has been known for beer since at least the 1840s when Pilsner Urquell debuted Pilsner, a style that has dominated the world. However, the Czech Republic seems to have faded into the background of the beer world as Belgium, Germany, and especially the U.S. have taken the spotlight. Our next guest is an American expatriate who about 20 years ago deeply immersed himself into the world of the Czech Republic. He is a professional writer who has since become the authority and unofficial ambassador between Eastern Europe and the U.S. for beer. He has written books, features for major publications, and appeared on TV shows to educate the beer world about the Czech Republic ever since. He joins me in this episode to not only talk about why we should enjoy Czech beer, but also why it matters. My name is Jeremy. I'm a certified Cicerone, BJCP judge, IBD certified brewer, and a beer writer. I believe the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. I believe there's a world of wisdom found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. This is Good Beer Matters. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 27 of Good Beer Matters with international beer writer, Evan Rail. Thank you so much for coming on to the Good Beer Matters podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've been looking forward to talking to you for a while. Uh, we, we spoke before offline. Not only do I want to learn more and share more of the stories in the in the just the culture of beer in in Europe, partic- particularly in the uh, eastern side in the Czech Republic where you are, but but you're also yeah. a, a a an American expatriate living in Europe and writing about beer among other things. And, uh, and, and that's, that's something that's of, of personal interest to me and, and probably some of my listeners as well. So I'm, I'm kind of looking toward to diving into that, but, but just to kick things off. Well, it's great to be on. Thanks for, thanks I, for having me on. I appreciate it so much. Um, just to kick things off, will you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background with beer and writing? Sure. Uh, my name is Evan. Uh, I've lived in the Czech Republic for 19 years. I've lived in Europe for 20 years. I spent a year in France before I moved here. Um, I've been writing about beer for about 16 years now, maybe closer to 17. 
the author of Good Beer Guide Prague in the Czech Republic, which was a guidebook to the breweries and beers of the Czech Republic, published by Camera, the British beer consumer organizations in 2007. Um, I write normally for a lot of various publications, um, Good Beer Hunting, uh, Beer Advocate, um, All About Beer, which is now gone, um, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, sometimes for Saver Magazine and Imbibe Magazine, and I'm a regular columnist for Vine Pair, um, which is a drinks website online. Awesome. Um, and, and if I was based upon some of the research I've I've done, um, you were also uh, you also have an article in uh, one of the anthologies of best food writing. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's true. I was in best food writing. I have an article in uh, the New York Times Book of Wine as well, but um, neither of those are about beer. <laughs> beer is about forty percent of what I do. Um, maybe 50% sometimes, and it's certainly one of my favorite subjects to write about, but I, I try to cover food and drink and culture in general. It's been a while since I've written about music, but I generally write about food and drink pretty often, and, and beer's probably the, the biggest chunk out of everything I cover. Well, it, but that just goes to show that you you are a writer of some note. Um, another thing, uh, I, I tried to find this episode. I couldn't find it, but you also uh, hosted the late Anthony Bourdain on on one of his shows, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was on his I was on Tony's show. Uh, no reservations, I guess. No, uh, okay, yeah. He's he's got. He had a, a few different shows. Yeah, it was it was one of his earlier shows. It was in uh, ten years ago, two thousand and nine. Wow, um, that was on his show. Uh, yeah, if there's time, I'd yeah. love, I'd love to that. hear hear about that. He he was uh, um, in part one of the uh, uh, for me kind of inspiring just from uh, after reading his book, um, uh, uh, not no reservations, um, uh, Kitchen Confidential. Uh, having worked, yeah, same, having, same here, right? Yeah, it, just having worked in the restaurant industry off and on for a long time, uh, reading that book was just like a oh. Okay, yeah, all of that is true, but holy cow, I didn't realize it was that true. <laughs> you know, you kind of take a good, close, hard look of the reality of like uh, subcultures. It was yeah, fascinating. It was it was fascinating. He was a hero for for most of us, I think, for me, me included. Yeah, um, most writers of my generation really looked up to him, and I think he felt that. And uh, maybe we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I mean, uh, that I mean, you have a tremendous background in writing, and and um, if you don't mind, uh, I, I just kind of want to dive just a little bit further down this rabbit hole. But um, my understanding is you grew up in California, and how did you, how did you make that move uh, from you know America to move to the states and get into writing, and consequently getting into beer writing and and contributing to the BJCP guidelines, and, and how did that whole evolution occur? Wow, I don't really know. I mean, most of us are kind of just passengers in our own lives, and uh, we just sort of wake up at a destination, and we don't really realize how we got there. I was living in San Francisco, um, not terribly happy with my life there. I was playing in a band, and... Uh, writing a little bit for the San Francisco Bay Guardian, the old alt-weekly there, um, volunteering at a literary magazine and trying to be a real writer of some kind, but I just wasn't getting much done. And um, 
I decided to leave the States and I, I went to Europe for a summer and I traveled around Germany and um, the Czech Republic, Poland and Hungary and came back and decided to apply to graduate school. I got into graduate school and one of my programs sent me to Paris. And while I was in Paris, I decided I didn't want to go back to the States. And so I um, went from Paris to Prague. I moved here, I had friends, and I got a job here and started writing. And no one here was taking beer seriously. Um, this is around the year 2000. I started writing a column about beer because I found it to be the most interesting local product, um, local local cultural element um, to me, especially that no one was covering it, not even, not even really in Czech, and certainly no one in English or German was writing about Czech beer. So I um, started a column, started writing about it. Um, later I left the newspaper and continued blogging about it, but after a few years of writing about it, I pitched a book to Camera Books in the UK, and to my surprise, they took it. And so I kind of had to become an expert um, because I had a contract to write a book to check breweries. Hmm. That, that seemed like a pretty good gig. Uh, it was fun. It, it makes you, um, I mean, it makes you get a lot faster and it makes you learn a lot about beer and forge connections. Uh, but, you know, one of the things we've been talking about um, offline earlier, but about being an expert on everything, I, I don't really feel like I, uh, I certainly don't know everything about own check beer, but I do know wh whom to ask. I know where to look. I know um, what libraries to go to to look things up, and I know generally know how to find information, and and that's kind of enough. You know, you don't have to know everything if you're writing about beer. You just have to know how to how to find um, the people who actually do know everything. So I've been writing about check beer for about 17 years, um, 16, 17 years. Um, there's a lot of mysteries to me as well in Czech still, and a lot of things I don't quite understand. Not necessarily about stuff that happens nowadays, but about stuff that happened in the past. Um, there's just there's so much richness here. You know, they've been uh, farming and selling hop, I don't know, 1,300 years, you know. I mean, mm. 700 years before the Brits were allowed to put hops in ale, Um you know, when that when hops were still banned in British ales, uh, the Czechs had been brewing their lagers, lager or some kind of, we're not really sure what it was, uh, some kind of beer with hops, and they've been selling hops for the highest prices for, for over a thousand years. Mm, I didn't know that. Um, that's, yeah, it's fascinating when you get back in that old stuff. The problem is that you run out of um, paper. There's just, there's not much that survived a thousand years of religious wars and <laughs> plagues and black death and everything else. Um, not to mention fire, world wars. You know, and how, Yeah. Oh yeah. Although Nazis weren't good. The communists were worse. Um, no, I mean, it was, it's, it's hard to find all of the information. And even if you could go back to a thousand years ago, which is frequently just people didn't write things down. Uh, but there are bright spots, and every once in a while, something will turn up, and um, it'll be a surprise. It'll be an old document that basically confirms your suspicions or, or shatters your beliefs, one of the two. Hmm. Um, it's, it's a fascinating place to live because there's just been so much happening with culture here for so long. You know, I'm from California. Um, we had Native Americans, and later we had Spanish and 
uh, Russian explorer. I mean, generally, we didn't have much culture until about until the gold rush, until the mid nineteenth century, and um, before that happened, the Czechs had 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 been the capital of Europe twice. You know, they'd been the capital of the Holy Roman Empire in two different centuries, um, long before California was was even a place that people had heard of. <laughs> so I'm I'm coming from a place with very little history, and and I'm getting dumped into a place with a lot of it. Interesting. At least, you know, written history in California. Sure, sure. Which is funny because I'm also from uh, California, or as I say, I'm a recovering Californian. Um, you know, the the history there is fascinating in and of itself, just from the going from native to European conquest, everything. But I can't even imagine. Uh, but I mean, that goes back hundreds of years, whereas you're dealing with going back thousands of years, and that's just a completely different scale. It's a completely different scale, and and when you're looking at something like beer, you can actually find beer showing up in culture here over the course of the entire Czech civilization, or very nearly. You know, so you're you're talking about one thousand three hundred, one thousand four hundred years of written history that shows that beer is being used in some way, or at least hops are being grown and sold and so forth. It goes back a long, long, long time. Um, maybe written history is probably more like 1,300 years, but at, at that point, you start getting records of hops being cultivated and given to the local abbeys, you know, for them to use and things like that. And it's, it's quite old, so um, it's, a, it's a fascinating place to be. Beer is considered, you know, part of daily life here on a, on a regular basis just for about everyone. It's not considered a um, a drink that should be forbidden is considered a drink that um, basically like water. It's considered a drink that is fairly ubiquitous and something you can always you can always have. Um, not really thought of as an alcoholic beverage in a way. It's thought of as food. So, how are um, families and children raised in that culture around beer? What what's what's well, it's, got, it's gotten stricter and more modern. Uh, we have a, a pitcher here that is um, what you guys would call a growler, but it's just a pitcher for going down to the pub down the street to get some fresh beer for supper. Uh, it's the same pitcher that my mother-in-law used when she was a little girl. The only difference is that she actually was you know, eight years old when she used to go get beer from the local brewery. And they, they don't let you do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> they don't let you send kids to the pub or to the brewery to get beer. They they used to. Um, and you might still find that in some small villages where everybody knows everybody and it's not a big deal. But in general, beer is, is just kind of ubiquitous and considered just a part of daily life. It's a drink you have with a meal. Um, some people might prefer a soft drink like a Coke or Sprite or something, but most people prefer a beer uh, a nice big heavy Czech lunch, like a roast duck or something. Hmm. Uh, are there problems with drinking too much in the Czech Republic in Eastern Europe, or is it would it be about the same as anywhere that you'd expect? No, I think they drink too much here. I think that I think it's indisputable that the alcohol levels are, are a little bit too high. The amount of beer that's consumed here is um, about 144 liters per person. Each year, that's okay, wow. almost twice the amount of what Americans consume. It's the number one beer consumption per capita in the world. It's about 50% more than the second-place finishers, um, which is usually Austria or, or some 
some other country. Sometimes they, they say it's in Africa, but but regardless, the first place country is, is and has been since 1993. Every, every single year has been the Czech Republic in terms of uh, beer consumption. Um, I think the alcohol consumption is a little too high because the, people also drink spirits and so forth. It's not the worst in the world or the best in the world, depending on how you look at it. I think that's that's in a country further east like Belarus um, or maybe Ukraine where people consume the, the absolute largest amounts of pure distilled alcohol. But in terms of the largest amount of beer consumed, it's definitely the Czech Republic. It's definitely hmm. been so and, and will continue to be for the near future. And so they just take uh, a good thing and take it a little too far? Well, it's not so bad. It's it's. <laughs> It's really, it's about uh, a beer a day for every, it's not even a beer a day, for every man, woman, and child. Uh, children aren't drinking, so, you know, you got to figure it's like a beer and a half a day for every man, adult. Oh, that's, I mean, it's not. That's not that bad. It's not such a big consumption. It's more like constant consumption. Okay. Um, beer's just, it's not excessive. People generally don't don't have too many blowout drinking nights, um, but they do have a beer or two or, or maybe three every day. Um, may, my father-in-law is a good example. He's over 80. He has half a beer. He splits a beer with his wife, my mother-in-law, at lunch, and they frequently open another one uh, at dinner and supper. So they have they each have a beer per day. You know, they're, they're doing their part. They're keeping the numbers okay. up. <laughs> and, um, it's generally that kind of constant consumption and um, steady consumption but not terribly excessive really uh, that is not to say that people don't go to the pub and have six beers with their friends um, once a week or once a month and meet a, with a regular group of um, friends to talk about nonsense and, and see each other and catch up but you got to remember our beers here have between four and five percent alcohol um, the larger share of them has around 4% alcohol, between 0.8 and 4.4%. It's about 50 or 60% of our beer is, is in that range. What, well, one thing I was going to ask is, uh, so you talk about just a, a constant consumption, but is uh, is that to say that drunkenness or drunk driving are not necessarily a significant issue where you are? Well, actually, it's a... In terms of um, driving, it's illegal to, to get behind the wheel if you have had any alcohol, um, even a beer, even oh. half a beer. Oh, they have a zero um, tolerance there. Have, they have zero tolerance, zero percent, zero point zero percent blood alcohol. Mm. Um, it's that's it. <laughs> um, the law is, is flouted in in some places, rural regions, maybe you know villages or something where somebody's driving their old 30-year-old four-banger across the square to go, I don't know, get some beer or something. Mm -hmm. But in a city like Prague, you know, we have extremely um, useful public transportation as, as well as uh, taxis and, and Uber and everything else. So there's just simply no reason for anyone to drive. Um, I have a car. I, I drive like once a month, it seems like. Um, oh, certainly great. not when I drink. It's just uh, it's just not necessary because we have trams and buses and trains and metro and uh, subway, so it's it's um, that's not a big deal. I don't think 
um, the society is sort of not based around the call, so you can you can get away with more um, cheeky beers in the afternoon. <laughs> I guess. Well, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, might as well go to this next, is a little bit more of a technical question, but um, you were a sure. contributor to the 2015 BJCP guidelines on the, on the Czech beer, and, if, um, and correct me if I'm saying anything that's not correct, um, but... Can you, will you describe how Czech beers are organized, at least within the BJCP guidelines? I, I was asked to help out with the 2015 guidelines. I think because I had complained about them a couple of times to, to friends in the BJCP. Um, b- before the 2015 revisions, the guidelines were just kind of not very accurate. And earlier, they, they were really bad. They'd gotten better, but they still weren't are quite correct uh, because how beer is is consumed is is organized here or thought of and I think even now they sort of mix two different categories together Um, we have our own categories here in the Czech Republic that define beer and those are legal categories they're generally based on original gravity Um, beers are categorized by original gravity for taxation purposes but they're also categorized that way by consumers simply because you choose to have a beer that is um, a lower alcohol strength. It's like the equivalent of the German word um, Schankbier or something like that. It's it's Vichetni Bilo in Czech. It's um, a beer with around 10% or up to 10% um, original gravity in terms of fermentable sugars. Uh, around 1.0, I guess. On the Exlus scale, okay. Um, other beers are yeah. So that's just one of the one of the things that we worked through was kind of getting the beers in the BJCP categories a little bit closer to how they are in the Czech Republic, but it's still not perfect. There, there is no at least Czech Republic that is over thirteen degrees Plato or Ball. That's percentage of sugar. Or fermentation, um, as as such, but in the BCP guidelines, I think they kind of bridge two to or kind of make it easier for home brewers. Okay, and, and of course, you know, it, it goes to just remind everyone that the BJCP is really geared toward home brewers and not pros. It's just the uh, the the world of beer often uh, uses them as a as a reference. Uh, so that's fair. Um, but looking at the BJCP guidelines, you know, it, it, there's a, a a pretty good paragraph before we even get into the Czech styles, and it talks about how uh, Czech beers are divided up uh, by gravity and color. And with color, they go from pale, amber, dark. Um, I'm I'm not going to try and destroy the uh, the Czech uh, words there. Um, and then uh, gravity, they go from uh, like 7 to 10 Play-Doh. The next uh, category is 11 to 12 Play-Doh. And then the last one is 13 plus Play-Doh. Is that, is that an accurate thing that's actually used in the Czech Republic, or is that purely just in the BJCP? No, no, that, that, that's how it works. I think we've added a new category, uh, a new legal category here since that came out. 
I believe we now have a low alcohol category called Stolny Pivo, which is table beer. Mm, okay. um, <laughs> and, and, and Czech uh, brewing regulations have expanded to include both spontaneous and uh, lactic fermentation, um, that is lactic acid producing bacteria mm-hmm. as, as acceptable kinds of beer. But you have to realize like five years ago, it, it wasn't listed. You couldn't make a beer more or less with uh, lactobacillus because it was, you, you could make it, but you were kind of pushing the law because there was no definition for beer with that in it. Um, but the Czech legal categories have been expanded and now they include those things. They also include a lower category that's not listed in what you just read to me. It's called it's table beer. And then we have an, uh, a dark category, which is a legal category for Baltic Porter. It's stronger than 18 degrees, Play-Doh or Balling, and dark, and primarily made from um, barley malt. Hmm. Uh, if we have a beer that is a wheat beer, it has to be made with more than 50% wheat. If we have, if there's any other grain that's specified, like if you say you have a corn beer, I believe it has to be. I might be wrong here. I think it's I think it's uh, more than fifty percent. Might be more than thirty percent. But the laws are pretty pretty um, clear, and they're generally organized around taxation. Um, there's a lower tax on beers of of a lower original gravity. Um, is it fair? You know, um, of course, some people know this. Uh, the original Pilsner, the very first Pilsner brewed, was done in. Pilsen in the Czech Republic back in 1842. Um, is Pilsner Urkel a thing in the Czech Republic, or is that just a uh, just kind of like a marketing export that the Czech Republic? No, it's the opposite. It's it is such a thing. It is such a large thing. Um, the brewery has two divisions. It's internal domestic that is Czech sales and export. And exports are growing and doing well, but uh, their their main <laughs> sales are domestic, and they they make money hand over fist because their that beer is still considered the reference point for all pale lagers here. Mm. Um, you might you might meet brewers who say they brew a beer better than Pilsner or Cal, or you might really meet brewers who will say that they brew a beer like the old Pilsner or Cal, which they they think was so great many years ago. Uh, before some change, uh, some of yours change, but you, you'll never meet a brewer who doesn't brew a beer that that, that does not refer to Pilsner or Kell. It is the uh, the keystone. It is the foundation stone for Czech brewing, and it is um, still considered a great beer. It is a great, great beer. Um, I don't drink it too much myself. In a in a way, I, I mean, it's surprising. I, I always bring. Visiting brewers, they always want to go drink Pilsner Cal, and visiting beer journalists always want to try the, the special versions of the beer. Um, so I drink it enough then, but it's a gigantic brewery, and it's a really good one. It's nearly ubiquitous. You can get it anywhere. It's considered a kind of a special beer that you would, you'd put on the Christmas table. You know, My, wow. my father-in-law is from South Bohemia, where, which is not where Pilsner Cal is. Pilsner, Pilsner, the town of Pilsner is in West Bohemia. It's from a different part of the country. But my father-in-law will drink his local beer all year long, um, and it's a really cheap little, you know, village brewery that only produces, I don't know, some 300,000. 
Um, but at Christmas, he'll put Phil Nurkel on the table. Wow, that's interesting because that is that is a, a special beer. Which is interesting yeah. because here, yeah. you know, you can still see it in the local grocery stores. You'll see the like the twelve pack of bottles, and you'll see people buy it and say, "Yeah, that's really good." That that, that was that was the beer I drank way back when. Um, but I think the history and the specialness on it is lost on the average person. Um, but you know, uh, you know, I don't drink a lot of Pilsner Kale either. But when I but when I do, my friends, uh, it's it's actually really nice. Um, it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, no one remembers or no one knows who the the fastest uh, or the person who who's flown the, the fastest plane is. No one knows who the current record holder is, but everyone remembers Chuck Yeager, who was the first to break the sound barrier. It it, it, it doesn't matter who is who's best; it just matters who was first, as far as memory serves. It seems like Pilsner yeah. fall into that category. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's if you get into the real weeds of the history. Um, really arcane stuff. You can find evidence that there might have been other precursors. How how about if I put it that way? Um, but but it is it is the original Pilsner beer. It's from the town of Pilsen. There's no other way to get around that. Um, you get into more difficulty trying to talk about the original Budweiser uh, because there are actually three breweries that. Are claiming to be the original Budweiser, and it's a mess. And there's a but big with, international lawsuit from uh, last I read. Yeah, this has been going for a uh, hundred years now, and uh, <laughs> that, that's a that's a more arcane story. But but, but with Pilsner, uh, with Urquell or Urquell as the Germans would say, um, it's or Prozdroy as the Czechs call it. It's quite clear that that brewer, when that brewery was founded, who founded it, they wrote books about it they they wrote letters um so which i translated you know the first i translated the first founding documents from 1839 when they said why they wanted to brew it uh why they wanted to build a new brewery um they already had had one in pilsen they wanted to brew and build a new one and it's quite clear you know where that history comes from now if you dig around in the in the old old german newspapers in the 1820s you can find evidence of lager beers that are pale um, in some little village somewhere, but um, that's pretty arcane stuff. Yeah. Uh, and and the clarity is, is that Pilsner Raquel is the original Pilsner, without a doubt. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, and... and, and it's, yeah. And, and uh, I remember reading, I wish I could go back and find this, but I remember reading that there was just like a perfect storm of events that occurred that just propelled... Uh, Pilsner Urkel into um, stardom, and part of it was a change of technology that allowed uh, uh, malt to be uh, kilned very, very lightly to give that color and flavor. And additionally, at the same around that same time, that um, they'd made a, a big technological advance in making glassware so that it was actually clear uh so that you could then see this golden liquid for the first time uh, can you corroborate any of this stuff or i mean are you do you know any yeah of no i mean well i've always been suspicious of the glassware story so much so that i spent months weeks years even trying to research it and i finally found an article in check from 1872 that explains why Czechs drink golden beer and why Germans drink dark beer. 
And it says quite clearly that it's because we use glass. And the Germans are still using ceramic vessels, oh. what's called a Steinkrug. We call it a Stein, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a Steinkrug, a stoneware mug. And the article points out that because they use stoneware, they can't see their beer, so it doesn't matter what color it is. But we, the Czechs, have all adopted glass. And, and this is 18, I think it's 1872. It's a Feuilleton article. Um, it took me years of research in the National Library to, to, <laughs> to find this article. Um, but it, yeah, just basically, it's, it's a, an account from the 19th century that says exactly what you're saying. Wow. Um, I had been suspicious of it, but it, it, it reinforces it. There, there were a number of um, important factors that contributed to the rise of Pilsner beer and the Pilsen brewery. I and mean, one is simply that it was built on a, they built a railway line um, near there that eventually, it didn't, it didn't happen in 1842, but they built the railway line in the 1850s and 1860s. They expanded it, and it allowed them to start sending beer across the country that is at the same time that Lind starts making the first um, refrigeration units that can refrigerate beer. Um, sometimes on, they're, actually they're using ice at this time for, to refrigerate the railway carriages, but they're sending beer all over Europe thanks to the railways, and you get glassware. Um, the big achievement for them was actually they installed a, a British malt kiln in 1842. The original brewery used an, a weird kind of kiln that no one had ever heard of in this part of the world. It was a, it was, it's described as being built in the English manner. Hmm. And it's an English malt kiln, which I believe uses recirculating heat, uh, recirculating actually steam to dry the malt. So it's not, it's not hot, dry air, but it's wet air. So the original convection oven. Yes, it's an original, it's some kind of steam, steam circulator, but it was a, it's what they called an English malt kiln. Hmm. I was, and it was built for the original brewery in, in 1842 for the original very first Pilsner Brewery. That brewery has been expanded. You know, they expanded five years after they were founded. They expanded another five years after that. They built in railway lines. They expanded further. It's a huge, huge brewery nowadays. I think they're brewing around three million barrels. Oh, wow. Hectoliters, close to that. It's two and a half or three. And um, half of it's consumed in the Czech Republic. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, a, it's quite a lot of... And then, then our biggest export markets for Pilsner or Keller, Germany, Austria, Poland, are, you know, our nearest neighbors. So, but, but places who already yeah, but, have exceptional beer to begin with, so that's interesting. Yeah, they, but they like it. The other, the, but the, that kind of gives, goes to show you, I mean, the exports that go to the United States are minuscule. Yeah. They're under, it's under 100,000 barrels per year at this point. And... You know, they they send half that amount to Korea at this point, and, you know, probably more by now. So the the stuff that gets to the U.S. is pretty thin. Um, Molson Coors or Miller Coors, um, when they were, they still handle the beer actually in the states, and the Tenth and Blake Division is responsible for importing it, I think, still. And they were the ones who installed the cold chain to make sure that Pilsner Kell was imported to the states in in under refrigeration and they installed brown bottles instead of green glass they changed over to that they also came up with the historic branding and did a lot of really cool stuff to 
make sure that the beer was arriving to the States in really good shape, or at least as good as it could be. Hmm. And of course, the last time I had Pilsner Urkel, I had uh, purchased a four pack of 16 ounce cans that all had different labels on it. Um, yeah, in fact, yeah, those I, are great. The lunchbox. Yeah, in fact, I, I was a little bit duped. I thought they were four different versions of Pilsner Urkel, and then I got home and realized, oh no, that was just kind of four different labels. Ha <laughs> ha, joke's on me, but the beer is still good, so uh, I got over it. But um, Yeah, there, there's, there's really only one version of Pilsner Urkel. There's um there's a, a diluted version that goes to, used to go to Sweden I think with under four percent alcohol but yeah you, it's you'll never get a Pilsner Urquell dark lager yeah, or a Pilsner not anymore that that stuff's gone hmm. I don't know if they ever ever made that but they used to make different versions a um, hundred years ago they used to make a a four percent alcohol five percent alcohol and a six percent alcohol beer roughly five and a half I think they got up to thirteen degrees um, ball. But they stopped doing that, and they pretty much just make one beer, one beer only, um, you know, with a couple of minor variations for Scandinavia and their alcohol law. Well, it's an alcohol and golden, you know, that's just one beer. Well, and th- I mean, this is going to be a perfect little springboard, but, you know, if uh, Pilsner Urkel is still a big thing, but there are other beers out there. Um, you, you know, I, you and I chatted uh, before, but uh, how has the Czech Republic remained relevant? I mean, the Pilsner Kell is, what, 180 years old, but that's still a big beer. I mean, yeah, how has the, yeah. the Czech Republic still, um, you know, a, a big deal in beer? I mean, that, that beer was so, you know, uh, 1880s. Um, well, I mean... It, Part of what's strange about the Czech Republic is is that they consume so much beer, and that means that they're kind of an island under themselves. Um, the country is produces about as much beer as Belgium, and the Belgium and the Czech Republic have you know similar traditions and histories, at least great beer reputations. But Belgium exports about sixty five percent of its beer production, and the Czech Republic consumes about sixty five percent of its beer production. So. The reason that they are still relevant are, is because they're basically, you know, an island under themselves where they produce, they, they eat their own dog food in the sense that they they drink most of the beer they produce. Americans have a really warped kind of understanding, I think, about um, craft beer breweries and how important they are. Um, I, you know, Left Hand is a brewery that everybody knows. It's mm-hmm. based out of Colorado. and. They're kind of famous for their beer. I've written about them and the Nitro Stout and everything. But they're producing under 100,000 barrels per year. And that's a big craft brewery for us. That's, a, that's an important one. But it's 100,000 barrels a year. It's, it's not even close to that. It's you know under that. And if you look at their Czech breweries that I can name, like, I don't know, Sviani or Bernard or, or Herold or... Zuber or Litovel, and many of these breweries are producing three or four hundred thousand barrels. You know, hectoliters is how we measure it here, but they're they're much larger in scale, and they just they pretty much only sell their beer in their home region. You wouldn't even see it in Prague. You just find it out in some remote region of the Czech Republic. You know, in, in South Moravia or. Um, East Bohemia is where you find most of those beers from that brewery, and they they sell to that region, and they're selling on a scale that is 
two or three times larger than a lot of American craft breweries that are famous and big. But we have never heard of these breweries because they're just out in Czech boondocks. Wow. So they're brewing that much beer, but they're essentially a large yet regional brewery. I don't know, 60,000, 400,000 um, barrels, hectoliters. It doesn't really matter at that point. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there, there are breweries that are, pr- that are producing 200, 300,000 barrels per year that are regional, almost exclusively regional. Yeah. And that you wouldn't find frequently in, in, big, in the capital in Prague, you know. Interesting. Well, and, and you kind of you kind of gave me another springboard I want to jump off of. But um, uh, what? So uh, you have all these uh, breweries that are making kind of traditional Czech lagers. Um, what's the state of uh, you? And you uh, corrected me last time we talked uh, about calling it craft beer. But I mean, what's the state of? people doing uh like ipas and pails and and other uh, other what uh what we americans would consider uh craft beer what's the state of that in the czech republic well not to correct you a second time and i'm i'm sorry if i corrected you no no, no it's good it's good i only meant that i don't even know what craft means anymore and i wrote an essay about the meaning of craft as a as a word you know i i've i've thought about it at, at length and i've written about it um i wrote this Kindle single called the meanings of craft beer. Uh, I'm not sure what craft means for me. If we're taking craft to mean new style, flavorful beers, which are mostly top fermented and hoppy or not, and, um, and possibly sour or whatever, um, I, I can accept that as a definition of a working definition of craft beer at this point. But when, when I grew up, I was saying before, I, I, I look. I came of age. I went to UC Davis up in Northern California, and we had our local brew pub was called Sudwork. It's still there, and they made great lagers. And this is before anyone used the word craft. It was when we were talking about microbreweries mm-hmm. in the early '90s. Um, craft craft didn't get used as a word really until closer to 2000, you know, late '90s. But before in the early '90s, we didn't call things craft. Um, but this brewery was what you would think of as a craft brewery nowadays and they were exclusively brewing European continental lager styles Pilsners um, Hellas uh, Meritsons and, and the like and they had, a, they had a wheat beer as well that was really good so for me I think of those beers as craft or sort of or pre-craft craft or craft but if you're talking about craft and I can agree that craft can be you know, top fermented and hoppy or new school or something um, there's a there's a generation of kids, not just kids, even older people like myself who are who are interested in new school beers, um, even adjunct stouts and 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 gross stuff that I don't ever want to <laughs> lactose infused things and and stuff that I don't really want to drink myself. They're, they are here now, but you have to remember the volumes of beer that are produced here. Pilsner Cal produces. 3 million hectoliters, 3 million barrels of Pilsner or Cal. But that's mm. only one brewery, and they own four breweries. Oh Together, they produce 10 million hectoliters. That, that is a huge amount of beer that's all traditional, all lager, not, not a drop of anything else. Well, I mean, a smidgen of, of some oddball stuff on the side. The rest of the country, you know, 20 million hectoliters per year is produced here, and it's virtually all lager. 95% of it is probably pale lager. 
maybe two or three or four or five percent is dark lager. And then there are IPAs and there are even saisons and there are kettle sours and there's some lacto nonsense and adjunct doubts exist here. Uh, one of my, my buddies brewed a really nice imperial stout with waffles in it. <laughs> um, but the scale is so small. My buddy has a brewery. You know, he, he produces, I don't know what, 3,000 hectoliters per year himself in his brewery. Um, altogether, all of those small breweries that are making craft beer styles, modern craft styles, together they all produce maybe 450, maybe 500,000 hectoliters. And the rest of the country is producing 20 million hectoliters of pale lager. So it exists here. And you can knock yourself out in Prague. You can go to you know, really cool tap takeovers and you can drink as much lactose as you want and you can have as much uh, yeast-filled, haze broy, uh, New England stuff as you want, well, within limits. But um, the scale is just, it just doesn't compare. Hmm. You're talking about less than half of 1%, maybe. Yeah. Well, can we can we go back to something you said a little bit earlier? Um, you know, part of uh, part of how I first learned about you is is reading your book, uh, or at least listening to the audiobook of uh, of uh, Why Beer Matters, and that was uh, as a book you have uh, uh, various places that you wrote a while ago. That book really helped me to learn how to think of beer in different terms instead of just a just being a alcoholic drink in a glass it it kind of opened up the world in different ways and and then you fast forward to now i'm writing about beer and i've got a podcast uh ironically named good beer matters whereas your book was why beer matters um but uh yeah, yours is a better title <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it you well, it was inspired uh um but you talked about uh, you know the meanings of craft, and, and forgive me, I still have yet to read that one. But um, the interesting conversation I had some time ago was talking about let's let's talk about craft, not in the beer world, but let's talk about music. You were a musician, I was a musician. You know, the, there's the creative process of writing the song and and getting it all down. to we're like, okay, this song is done. I've done. I'm done creating it. And that, and for me, that's the creation of uh, the craft. The way that I think about the term craft is okay. The creation is done. Now I need to improve upon it. I need to go out and perform it, so that it doesn't get stale and old and sound like a bad studio recording. Every time I play the song, I need to make it sound like it's the first time and the best time I've ever played that. To me, to me, that 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 says craft. And so when I right. and when I think about yeah. these uh, these brewers who okay they created this recipe it's pretty darn good now we need to recreate it and not let it start sucking uh, how can we make it better how can we tweak it how can we get it out there and just really really let it shine but it's kind of like a quality reproduction is kind of how I think of craft. Um, that's an interesting take. I mean, there there are a lot of. So there's a cognate for the word craft in German, and, and there's the word kraft in German, it means power. Um, and we have this idea of craft in English, of things that are crafted, that is, that is the idea of homo faber, man the maker. And, and a craft person is somebody who makes something. 
Mm-hmm. So we have that idea. Interestingly, though, <laughs> one of the oldest senses of the word craft, it's in this Kindle single I wrote, is in English. If you have the word craft, it, it used to mean trickery. Oh. Um, yeah, like witchcraft. Or being crafty. Um, but, yeah. yeah, to be crafty or 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 to have his craft, or he practiced craft, meaning um, sleight of hand, deceit, trickery, lies, um, deception. So I, I think that has absolutely nothing to do with craft beer hmm. nowadays, um, and they have another you know, adjunct stout. <laughs> but um, it is an interesting backstory to the word, because it, it is there. My, my wife is a potter. She's a ceramicist. She sits down in a wheel with a lump of clay and turns it into a vase or a, a bowl or a teapot. And that, for me, is craft. Mm, okay. Um, but, but clearly, that is, that is really one of the clearest meanings of craft, you know, making something. A craft is to be able to make something. But for craft beer, I'm, I don't believe that we, think we need to make things new. I'm quite happy to drink. If I had to drink... Orval for the rest of my life. I think I would exist. Yeah. I think I would be very happy. And if I had to drink cope. Pilsner or Kell for the rest of my life, I think I would be very happy. That recipe has not been fiddled with much, you know, in a hundred and almost eighty years, and it certainly hasn't been fiddled with in the past twenty or thirty years. It's it's just exactly what it was, and it's a really good beer. Um, so I, I'm not really terribly interested in in too much novelty or newness, I guess. I'm pretty happy with with just good. You know, that's why I said your title is a better title because good beer I'd rather have good beer than interesting beer, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> or, or or a new style. I don't really think I need any more new styles of beer. I I'd, I'd be content with this really. Well and, and I th- and I think you and I even are the, yeah. no by, by all means please finish. I don't even think I need most of the styles that have invented, been invented in the past 10 years, you know? Yeah. I'd be good with, from about 2000, and, from before 2010, I think I'd be fine with. And, you know, there, there are dozens of beer styles that just don't exist anymore. We don't have them. Mm-hmm. They're gone. Yeah. Well, so, I... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, uh, you and I are uh, right about the same age, and uh, and so I, I feel like I'm getting to the point where you know I love all these new styles and this innovation that comes out. I think it's exciting to see what they're trying. But yeah. but I'm getting to that point in my life where I'm thinking, well, back in my day, we had ESBs and reds and ambers and browns, and we were happy. Um, there's part of me that loves the innovation, but I, I I would like to just go back to enjoy, you know, the the beer that you know I kind of grew up with, so to speak. And and I don't I, I don't know what that says about my age and my outlook on life, but um, yeah, it I, don't, is what I, it is. I feel like I'm in I'm the right place for me. Because I, I get to drink all of these great lagers, and and they're really affordable, and they're ubiquitous, and they're really fun, and they go well with food, and and it's nice that I can afford the world's best lagers because beers here cost, I don't know, a dollar twenty-five for a pint, you know, they're a dollar fifty or something. They're not that expensive. Um, at the same time, we do have these new styles, and every once in a while, I kind of dip my toe in the water, but. You know, I'm not not a real big fan of haze. I think generally, I think beers are supposed to be clear. Um, you know, not a big fan of of too many pastries in my stouts. But 
at the same time, I like having fun and trying weird things. And I, I, I think some of those things will catch on and certainly some of them have, you know? So. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, I'll continue that music analogy, but you know, I, I really don't listen to the radio anymore cause there's not much that interests me, but you give me Led Zeppelin or David <laughs> Bowie or, or any U2 from the 1980s, then man, I'll, man, you got me. I'm, I'm yours. You gotta so. get these, these kids gotta get off your lawn. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, oh, no, I, I, I'm, 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 I don't know. I like modern music too. I'm not. I'm not trying not to be that old, but um, <laughs> I'm. I'm. I'm suspicious of innovation for the sake of innovation. I'll, I'll say that much. I don't necessarily. I'd, I'd rather tr- drink a really well-made mild. You know, a really, really well-made cask bitter is. You know, I'll, I'll travel else for that, but. Um, a lot. Those are harder to make and harder to find and harder to serve well, and and they don't get the attention of of some of the newer styles from some people. But I live in a country where there can be craft innovation, and you can get some of that new style stuff. But they're going to keep serving. What people are going to drink is pale lager. It's this, the scale is just too large. Hmm. There's too much of it, and it's really good. It's it's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, there's room. People will, I, will, I mean, I told this story before, but people will, will talk about um, craft style beers. They'll say, I tried this thing. It was called an IPA. You know, they call it an IPA. They'll yeah. say, I tried this thing, this, <laughs> this IPA. And someone will say, how was it? And they'll say, oh, it was so bitter. I was too bitter. I could only have like three or four of them before I had to go back to my regular pale lagers. Mm-hmm. You know, and <laughs> they will drink them. They'll, they'll try them. There is room for it. But the amount of of traditional beer that is being consumed here and in next door to us in, in Bavaria and in Franconia. Um, it's, it's just a, an order of magnitude and two orders of magnitude larger. You know, it's huge. Hmm. Um, well, I've got, I've got a million questions. I feel like I could ask you, but I want to respect your time. So I'm going to begin the, uh, wind down process. Um, but one last little question, um, uh, before we kind of begin that process, really, but uh, one so one of the beliefs I have, and, and this comes from just talking to people who've gone out and done things, I, education, travel, whatever it is, um, but you can really get a sense of different cultures by studying their music or their history or their food, or in our case, uh, the beer. Um, um, but you have been someone who's been able to uh, write about it, and you've you've traveled uh, a bit. You've lived abroad, um, and if you're a writer, you're also a reader. Uh, but you're able to look at the world from a different uh, cultural standpoint, different beer standpoint, different um, literature standpoint. Do you see the world differently than than most people just because of your experiences? I think I have to because. I've been gone for two decades now, and that's kind of colored my vision. Um, I don't like, I didn't like sitting in traffic. <laughs> and when I go home, I'm amazed at how much time Americans spend in their cars. Um, well, you know, cars are neat and they're and they're big and plush, but um, living here and living in a city with good public transportation and, and then really strict um, anti-drink driving laws and, um, and the like, it, it kind of colors my perception. Um, I've been thinking about beer for a long time and, and figuring out, trying to figure out where it fits in because I've been trying to figure out where I fit in 
in the Czech Republic. I'm not Czech. I'm an outsider. Yeah, you're stuck between so, two worlds. Yeah, but I'm just I still exist here and and I'm I have friends and I feel comfortable in Czech society. You know, I I, I contribute and I'm happy to live here. But I started trying to figure out how beer fits in because I, was, I think I was trying to figure out how I fit in and I was trying to figure out where the checks fit into the world. And one thing I've seen for over and over again for the past 15, 16, 17 years of writing about beer is just how common beer is to human civilization, um, at least in this part of the world and in, in the neighboring countries, at least in Europe. Um, beer is part of of human culture and it has been for a long time I started this project on on Twitter um, and on Instagram to a degree called Beer and Art and it just posts pictures of famous paintings sometimes not famous paintings with beer in them and there are millions of them Picasso has paintings with beer Van Gogh I posted a couple of Van Gogh paintings last week Mm. on Beer and Art and it's just fascinating to see that beer is as much a part of human civilization and and modern European culture, Western culture, American culture, as as music, as as food, as anything else. It is, it is central in a way. It has always been with us, and that's that. I get comfort from that as well as from the beer itself. And I get comfort from knowing that this thing that we've had with us for millennia actually millennia, you know, is still with us and still bringing us joy. Interesting. Yeah, it, it's hard to separate beer from culture. No, it, it is culture. It, that's all it is. I mean, we, yeah. and it, it has formed civilizations and it has brought wealth to people and it has allowed us, given us something to talk about as well as to something to talk over. Um, Czech people drink a lot of beer because they they use it as an excuse to talk. And when my wife goes out to meet her friends from high school or college, they they go to the pub and they get a small beer or two, and they sit down and they talk about their families and their husbands and their work and all their parents and all those things that you have to catch up on mm-hmm. over a beer. Um, it's it's a wonderful element of of human culture and civilization. And it seems, despite all of our differences, there are still so many similarities, particularly in this context of people just getting together over a beer and either just catching up or discussing new ventures or or planning something big. I mean, it, there's it, there's been more than one time in history that it's happened in a brewery. Yeah, or yeah, or a pub. I mean, you see. Here, pubs in the afternoon, my favorite time to get a beer is around 4 o'clock. And sometimes there's the lonely old guy reading the sports pages or the sports newspaper reading the soccer scores. Um, sometimes there'll be like a hotshot MBA kind of guy with a laptop and some spreadsheets doing some business crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple times there'll be like you know, college kids maybe making jokes on a date or something. But everybody will have a beer, <laughs> and that's that's the point. You know, and you don't necessarily talk to other people. You sometimes you do. You generally just in there to grab that kind of quiet hour where you can sit in a pub and have a beer and and not be noticed, maybe not be missed. And I love seeing the businessmen you know having beers and and 
just like the old men next to them, they're, they're drinking the same stuff. It's good. It's good stuff. Hmm. Well, let, let's let's begin the wind down question uh, series. That uh, uh, first one is Evan. If if you could be the beer king of the world for a day, would you change anything? What would you change if you could? Um, I would get Americans to stop drinking out of bottles and especially cans. Oh, amen. I mean, do you know what's on? The, do you know what's on the outside of a can? <laughs> I don't know what's on the outside of a can, and you guys put your lips on it. It's yeah. gross. I, I, I'm not a I'm not a like you know specialty glassware kind of guy, but I'm a hygiene guy. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are going to get hepatitis that way, man. That's gross. Um, uh, that's one thing. Uh, Beer King. What else would I do? I would. Uh, I would. I would cut back on all of the nonsense, man. I would just, especially in craft beer. Oh my gosh, yes. And I would definitely do more to include uh, different looking people in in craft beer. Mm-hmm. I mean, American craft beer is, is just so often a bunch of guys with beards, you know, a bunch of white guys with beards. And I love what's going on with beer culture, beer culture with a K, uh, bringing kind of diversity to craft beer or bringing craft beer to a diverse audience. Um, I love seeing more women in craft beer and in just in beer in general. Um, I want want, want to see more diversity. I like that. That's the world I live in and I'm, I'm happy to see it. Yeah. Oh, I, I I totally agree with everything you just said. In a past life, I worked in the medical field, and and so I've I've become aware of what little bugs could be and stuff. So I, I agree with you. The clean those off or pour them into a good glass. But um, and then yeah. and then of course expanding beer culture to actually be a diverse culture. I oh I love it. Well, it's you know that's that's an easy win win. You know, if more people get craft beer, get good beer. Uh, whatever it is, imports or new style. I don't like, they can even have hazies. I don't care. Um, if you, you build the audience, you know, bring it, that's more people having pleasure, you know, more people who are not, who are locked out of the conversation now in, in certain communities, not getting craft beer, but just getting that same old BMC kind of stuff. Um, it'll bring more pleasure to them, but it'll bring more money to craft beer and it'll expand the culture, you know, and that's that's good for everybody. There are places in the UK, um, up north, there's a place called Bundobust. And it's a craft beer, kind of hipstery place, you know. But they serve Indian, <laughs> vegetarian and vegan, vegan, I think, Indian street food. Hmm. So like pakoras and samosas and fried okra with all the Indian flavor, all the curry flavor, you know, masala that you can imagine and craft beers. And I love that. I love the idea that you can, you can go to a place and get some really interesting food and a good beer as well. Um, there, there needs to be more of that everywhere, you know, mixing it up and bringing in more, more diversity and more flavors. is just going to make everybody have a better time. That's the innovation I'd like to see. Is yeah, I, I definitely, I miss good Mexican food <laughs> and, uh, and I, I'd really kill for that. I'd like to go home to a taqueria that sold really good tacos and actually had really good beer. Oh, yeah. So so if I were king of beer, uh, American craft beer for a day, I'd, I'd definitely work on the diversity angle. It's just going to benefit everybody. Um, it's going to make things more fun. It's going to make it, things more flavorful and interesting, and, and I'm, I'm down with that. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. Um, the, the next thing I want to ask you is, uh, Evan, if you had the ability to, 
uh, uh, choose your very last meal and your very last beer uh, before you depart this earth, what would they be? Um, oh, boy. Um, there's a beer I drink a lot of that I wouldn't mind having. It's my last beer. It's a beer called Benedict from the other side of Prague. It's a pale lager produced with a really special hop, sots, but a really special version of sots with extremely low alpha. So you have to use a lot of plant matter. Um, it's from an old hop yard that hasn't been replanted since before World War II, and it's got a lot of flavor and character. So I, I would probably, yeah, I'd, I'd take that Benedict as my last beer on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, I get to drink it, you know, pretty much as often as I want because there's a place 10 minutes from my house on foot that has it, uh, Pivo Varsky Club. Uh, last meal? Last meal. Boy, that's a, that's more difficult. Um, I think I've thought about this before. I, I don't, I think it would be something, something dumb. Um, something kind of simple, actually. Uh, you know, maybe even something vegetarian. If I'm actually going to depart this earthly plane and uh, shake off this mortal mortal coil, I, I don't think I want to feel very heavy. So probably <laughs> something nice and vegetarian. Maybe sushi. Um, that's not vegetarian, but maybe something. Um, yeah, like an Indian a vegetarian curry would be nice. Hmm. Okay, that sounds good actually. Um, so, uh, so well, yeah, I was supposed to say steak, right? But I, I just, it just seems so obvious. Well, I, I find it interesting uh, how many different directions people go when I ask this question, and it's sometimes it's just like really, really big, um, or something. It, you know, you know, when I think about what mine would be, I kind of, I kind of think back to something I hadn't, or uh, food I eat in college has become like my favorite thing, and so that that's where I go. And people just kind of go to sentiment or go big. Um, some people, it's surprisingly a difficult question, and some people. It's it's easy as just answering yes or no. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I, I found myself thinking of things like broccoli and asparagus when you said that. So <laughs> I maybe I'm hungry for broccoli and asparagus, but I also feel like it's so rewarding. Like, a, have you ever barbecued asparagus with some olive oil on a, like a Weber? Yes, it's really good, and or broccoli as well is really good that way. And I just thought I think I would really enjoy eating that. It's my last thing to eat. <laughs> Especially over open fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Over coals, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Is uh, this supposed to be the lightning round? I feel like I'm taking too long to answer. No, no, no. This is it, it's completely in your hands. Um, okay. Um, yeah. So the last big question, and and uh, yeah, I know you spent a lot of time thinking about versions of this question, but given all of your experience and things you've read and written, um, why does good beer matter? You know, beer is one of those things that it's, it matters a lot to a lot of people, and, and why is, is difficult to answer. But you can see that it does. And part of what I come, I've come to think about beer is that good beer is, unlike a lot of other pleasures, something that is relatively affordable and that most of us, no matter how down on our luck we are, can afford uh, to give ourselves. One of the great lines in Twin Peaks was um, that Agent Cooper said, I believe it was Agent Cooper, um, said, every day give yourself a little present, <laughs> which I've taken as a sort of life advice. You know, I was coming of age when Twin Peaks was on TV. Yeah. And uh, 
remember it well and um, I'm basically a, a hedonist of a kind or an epicureanist. And, and I've thought about that. And beer is just one of those things where, you know, you can, and I mentioned it in Why Beer Matters, but I'll say it again here. You can afford the pretty much the best beers in the world, but the best wines and the best whiskeys in the world are beyond our abilities most for most of us. Mm-hmm. And, and even if you're not a, drinking the best beer in the world, I mean, God damn it, on a hot day, a cold BMC or industrial lager is generally just delicious as hell. You know, it's wonderful. So I think beer matters because it is a really easy, easily achievable pleasure that is not terribly harmful to you. You know, 5% alcohol, it's 90% water. You're basically hydrating yourself when you're drinking it, you know, almost. <laughs> it's really innocent, and it's, yet it's a nice thing you can do for you that feels really, really good. People, it, it feels great, you know. Sometimes I take a break from beer, and I just for whatever reasons don't drink it for a while. And when I come back to it, I often find myself saying, wow, that is really good. And I don't mean this particular obscure uh, kettle sour or lambic or bread beer or God knows what uh, pale lager from the back of beyond edge of Bohemia that you guys have never heard of. Those are all great. But I mean, just any beer, any decent beer when you haven't had one for a while is astounding. It's delicious. You know, and, and that can be just a basic lager or an Orval or God knows what. It's a really good drink. It's mm-hmm. pleasure and it's affordable and it's not too bad for you. And and you should have one right now. Amen. I, yeah. Here, let, let me let me press pause real quick and I'll go grab one. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, okay, the last couple uh, questions are real easy, but uh, and if any of the listeners wanted to connect uh, to you, uh, uh, where were they? And keep in mind, I'll I'll put a uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to your books that are on Amazon, so they can uh, hopefully uh, get yeah, yeah, to those and everything else. But how could people connect to find you and and learn more about what you do and et cetera? Um, you know, I'm I'm a writer, so I'm on Twitter most of the time. Um, that's the best way to reach me. I accept hate mail at uh, evan at evanrail.com. It's just a, my first name at my first name and last name together, dot com. But Twitter is a really good way to, to reach me and, and find what I'm posting. I try to do a lot of different stuff on Twitter, but I post a, a good amount of um, sort of beer news or beer history stuff I find in archives about German breweries, Belgian breweries, uh, Czech breweries, of course. Um, old stuff I find when I read newspapers and things like that. And I try to try to be interesting. Uh, so if somebody wanted to, to connect with me, that's a great way to reach me or, or via email um, at, at evan at evanrail.com is fine. Great. And uh, last question, do you have any final words of wisdom as we, as we end this? Um, no, be nice to each other, you know, um, everybody's suffering. And, and if somebody seems like they're being mean to you, they're probably just fighting some demon in I think we all need to be cooler, especially on Twitter, especially <laughs> online. We need to chill out and, and just accept that everyone else is living a pretty hard life. So that's it. That's so, all I'm going to say. So buy each other a beer and discuss buy, buy, buy each other a beer. Buy somebody a beer. Be nice to everybody you can and try to take things easily because it's, it's hard enough without trying to take it hard. Awesome.
Evan, thank you so much for coming on to this podcast and sharing your insights and sure. and, and uh, uh, stories. There. Yeah. Uh, I will uh, hopefully uh, 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 someday make it to Prague. That's on my wife's bucket list particularly, but I would also love to go there and taste the beer, and hopefully I can uh, buy you a beer to help. That sounds great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try to buy people beers in, in my town, but uh, we can fight over the bill when it comes. Fair enough. All right. All right, Jeremy. Have a good one. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Beer means many things to us. For some, it's revenue, others, influence. But to some, it's a door to another time or another world. Writers like Evan and hopefully podcasts like this one serve as a guide by sharing stories and experiences that keep our sense of adventure and curiosity alive. Join us in the next episode when we head to Chicago to visit ground zero of the international beer education movement. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters and visit me at goodbeermatters.net. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Nastravi. Kids got to get off your lawn. I know. I know. <laughs>